Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm lovely. Thank you. So I've been thinking about um, replacing members of Congress. Okay, wait, let me back up. Um, that made it sound like I was thinking about killing members of Congress, and I am not thinking about killing members of Congress. But I was thinking in terms well, we of went from, COVID. We went from zero to 60. Yeah, and I didn't mean to take us there. I, I'm, I'm, now I'm thinking I need to slow this Bugatti down before we go over a cliff. Um, but I was thinking about it in terms of COVID, right? Let's say that uh, God forbid a senator or a congressperson contracts COVID and they are very ill and they can't serve for whatever reason. And I'm assuming that if you became gravely ill and you were in like the ICU or whatever, would you still be a member of Congress or would you be removed at that point? Like one, that's a question I have. And then two, if, if heaven forbid you died from it, how, how does that work? How do we get, Okay. Senatorial and congresspersonal, <laughs> congressperson's replacement. Yeah. So basically you're asking two questions. Okay. One, um, on what grounds um, uh, uh, are members of Congress uh, forced to leave their positions? And then the second is, okay, what is the process for either replacing members of the House of Representatives um, and or the United States Senate. Yes. So let's so let's deal with the first question, which is actually simplest. Okay. Okay. There are five, if you will, basic reasons why members of Congress leave their position. Okay. Um, one, they lose an election, which is not what you're talking about. Okay. Right. You're not talking about that. Two, um, uh, they are appointed to other government posts. Right. So, for instance, uh, the current Secretary of State, uh, what's his name, uh, Pompeo, okay, used to be a member of Congress. Well, and and Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions. Yes. Right. right? Wasn't he was a senator, and then he was asked to be Attorney General. That's right. Okay. Um, and if you think about, for instance, um, there is you know already preparations within the Biden campaign, uh, if Joe Biden is elected president, are there members of Congress he might reach out to, okay? Oh, for um, uh, cabinet positions and cabinet things like positions. that? Okay. Yeah, okay. Now, then you have death, okay, uh, which you just mentioned. You know, God forbid a member of Congress gets seriously ill and they die in office. Another, Senator McCain. Yeah. John McCain, okay, uh, when he died of a, a particularly virulent um, form of brain cancer, okay. Um, then you have resignation, okay. You Jeff know, Flake. Yeah. Um, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Life is. I'm, I'm going fishing. Life's too short to be in Congress. I'll see y'all. <laughs> yes. Um, another is retirement, okay. Oh. 
you know, Did people I, actually retire from Congress? Yeah. I mean, hey, um, you know, th there are people who serve for, you know, 18, 20, 24 years, and they're like, you know, hey, I did my government service, right? Oh, I, like, um, it, it's funny to me because I think of Strom Thurmond. He didn't retire. He just died. Okay, but... Uh, he was 950 years old, and he just never retired. So I guess... Okay, but I'm think about, you know, think about uh, John Warner and Chuck Robb here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Okay. Both of them served for a number of terms in the United States Senate, and they retired. Okay. So you can retire from being a senator. Do you get some sort of benefits package when that happens? Oh, my goodness, yes. Okay. We're going to have to talk about that at some point. <laughs> yeah, we are. It's, okay. it's good to be an ex-member of Congress because it sounds like from the way you said that, it's really good to be an ex-member of Congress. It, not only is it good to be an ex-member of Congress, it's also good to be an ex-member of the federal judiciary, too. Okay. Oh, okay. So we're yeah. going to we'll post it on that for another episode. Yeah, right. You know, maybe post-election. And then the last method is expulsion, okay? Members of what, whichever House of Congress you're a member of can vote to ex expel you from the body, okay? Is that a common thing, though? No, no, no. Um, I mean, they can want to do that, but actually doing that, I would bet, would be... In the entire history of the United States Congress, 20 members have been expelled, 15 in the Senate and five from the House, okay? Um, typically, okay, um, if you do something bad when you're a member of Congress, they censor you, which is kind of sort of like a warning. Censure, okay, yes. so they're, they're like, you are bad and you should stop doing that. Yes, you should stop doing bad things. <laughs> it's a sort of a shot across your bow, as it were, yes, to right? get you to straighten up. Of the, set, the, of the 20 that have been expelled, 17 were removed for office because of their uh, membership uh, or support of the Confederacy. So actually, there's only been three, you know, other than the, uh, the Civil War, you know, uh, uh, southern states seceding from the Union, right? It doesn't happen very often, okay. right? It's just not a thing we do. No, it's not a thing we do, right? Well, and in fairness, those are the people's representatives. Theoretically, you're supposed to leave up to the people the getting rid thereof. That's right. You know, one of, one of the logics of having congressional elections is if the people don't like what you've done with their position of trust, they can do what to you, Nia? Replace you with someone else. Yep. Vote you out. Yep. Vote or out. if they like your corruption because it works for them, Huey Long, I'm looking at you, you can have a long and storied career of just being a big old criminal and, the, and your locals are like, yep, but he's our criminal. Uh, yeah, right. And we I love mean, him. You know, uh, you, you mentioned Strom Thurmond uh, a few moments ago, right? I mean, Strom Thurmond. Jesse Helms. I mean, okay, uh, served in, in the United States Senate, okay, for decades. Uh, when he died in office, he was over 100 years old. Yeah. Okay. And every time he ran for reelection, some poor sap from a national news <laughs> media organization would be sent to South Carolina to interview South Carolinians 
as to why they would keep on voting this old guy, okay, who had had a career, okay, characterized by any number of racist efforts, okay, how they kept on voting him in the office. And I still recall, and it's a paraphrase of a quote, but a voter down in South Carolina, an African-American, no less, goes, oh, yeah, he's an old racist, but he's our old racist. <laughs> exactly. Um, there's, this, there's this thing in the, there's this sort of axiom in the South that in the North, y'all hide your crazy people in the South. We put them on the porch. Yeah. Like, we, we don't even try to pretend or like nope that's my crazy uncle he's just sitting out on the porch because that's kind of how we are but but i'm sure that there have also been northern candidates that that's been the case with so i i uh, I shouldn't say anything too terrible about the south because i do love the south um so okay so 17 but that's a a result of the civil war yes and the outcomes of the civil war and the frustrations and divisions in the country right after that so really three in 250 years is pretty good it's it's unlikely you're going to be removed from office yeah so what more likely is going to occur is death or you were appointed to another government position and therefore your position in either the house or the senate is vacant okay okay now in the u.s constitution there is no required method for replacing Senate seats that are vacant. Okay, pause for just a second. Yes. I love the founders <laughs> as an idea, as a concept, right? I don't know them individually, so I don't love them individually. But, but there are some gaping holes in the Constitution. Like, there's stuff that they totally cover. The first Tuesday after the first Monday in November will always be the election, right? Like, that's, that is an arbitrary, weird time that they came up with, but it's very specific. You have to have a Monday before you can have a Tuesday. Like, like that's really weird, specifically. And then you get to, oh, yeah, well, they'll just figure out how to replace a senator. (laughs) We'll just leave that up to the states, right? Because that's what it ends up happening is when they decide not to put something in the constitutions because they think, oh, well, we'll just leave that up to the states. They'll figure it out. And then you get 50 different kinds of laws about how to do something. Is it as bad as that or is it, or are there actually more consistent patterns than that? Yeah, there are more consistent patterns in regards to replacing senators. Now understand, before the passage of the 17th Amendment, where senators became directly elected by the people of the state that they represented, okay? Prior to that, selection of senators was done by state legislatures. Oh, I bet that wasn't contentious at all. Oh, it was extremely contentious. (laughs) And in fact, one of the arguments in favor of the 17th Amendment was that state legislatures frequently could not come to agreement on who to pick when there was a vacancy in an unfilled U.S. Senate term, okay? So they fixed polarization with a congressional amendment. With a constitutional amendment. Oh, excuse me, a constitutional amendment. Yeah, with a (laughs) constitutional... I wonder if that would work today. (laughs) I mean, I'm just going to put out there, it's a little polarized right now, and maybe we could just have constitutional amendments that would say, y'all knock it off. 
Now the other <gasps> that would be the best constitutional <laughs> amendment ever. Or the twenty eighth the twenty eighth amendment. Y'all knock it off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow, that's short, but to the yeah. point. <laughs> Now, that wasn't the primary, if you will, reason to pass the 17th Amendment. You know, the idea of the 17th Amendment uh, actually reflected, if you will, uh, progressives. Uh, the progressive view that the people should be more involved in the selection of uh, who makes decision for them, right? And in a future podcast episode, uh, listeners, we're actually going to be talking about um, other reforms of, if you will, uh, of a direct nature uh, 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 from the progressives. And specifically what we're talking about are uh, referendums, initiatives, and recall of um, elected officials, okay? So the 17th, before the 17th Amendment, it was up to the state legislatures. And in some cases, you had vacancies for, you know, two, three, four years. Until you got a change in the House or a change in the General Assembly or a change in whichever body rules your state. Yes. And people could actually get together and decide, okay, we're going to pick Augie and we're going to send him as our senator. That's right. Yep. Okay. Now today, as you pointed out, uh, kind of sort of uh, general consensus uh, has arisen in most of the states about how to fill vacant Senate seats. In 36 states, governors get to appoint the replacements for a vacant Senate seat. The person who's appointed to fill the vacancy holds the position until the next regularly scheduled election. So to give you an example, currently Wait. Um, in Arizona, okay, okay um, when John McCain died, okay, um, the Republican governor appointed um, uh, McSally to replace him. She's keeping, you know, she has the position on an interim basis until this fall, because that was when uh, McCain's Senate seat was up for re-election. But if his Senate seat had not been up for re-election for another two years, would she have stayed in it till the end of his term? Yes. And then, okay, so it's not the next election, it's the next election for that, for that seat. For that seat, because the seats are offset, aren't they? You don't replace yeah. both senators at the same time. That's right. It, uh, according to uh, uh, the U.S. Constitution, only one-third of the Senate seats are up for election every two years. Okay. Right. And, and it's for continuity. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. It's for continuity. Um, you know, if one of the logics behind the Senate being a slower, more deliberative body, okay, uh, in, in giving, giving it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was making commentary over here. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Snort. Um, so basically, that's what happens in 36 states. Okay. okay. And for a time there, wasn't it relatively common that you would, that that's how women served in Congress was that they would take the seat of their spouse when their spouse died as sort of the placeholder yeah. under the theory that you knew this person best, you knew their way of thinking, you probably had similar relationships because you would have known 
the other senators they were friends with because you would have had them over for dinner or you would have had them doing that kind of thing your policy views would be similar to your spouse's etc right uh, though as somebody who was once married i'm not entirely sure that that's <laughs> correct but nevertheless but that was what they did not always but a lot of times in the yeah. past and that's how women yeah. actually served in the senate before they could serve in the senate on their own now in 14 states if there is a vacancy um a special election is held by a specified date to fill the vacancy okay um and again what you could see what could happen here is let's say nia you're a u.s senator and you <laughs> get a, all the power and you get appointed by the president to serve as the um Make secretary secretary of the space force yes okay <laughs> which we discussed in a previous podcast episode. and which is the ultimate dream okay and let's say I'm the governor of the state that you represent. Say I'm the governor of Virginia. Again, like that would ever happen. But nevertheless, well, and how far has Virginia fallen at that point that I'm <laughs> that I'm a senator and you're no, the governor? The governor. <laughs> I mean, we we love Virginia too much for to let that happen all at once. But anyway. But in that kind of arrangement, I would set a date for a special election. Okay. Okay. Um, and let's say our good friend, uh, Hillary, okay. <gasps> Hillary Miller. Okay. Who's appeared on the podcast. Let's say she wins the special election. She would hold that seat until the next scheduled election. Okay. For that seat. Okay. So it could be only for a year or it could be for five years. Okay. It depends on at what point in the six year Senate term, you were forced to resign to take this other government position. Because remember, if, listeners, okay. hold on just a moment. Remember, listeners, in the U.S. Constitution, no person can hold two jobs in the federal government. So if you are a U.S. Senator, you can't be U.S. Senator, senator and the Secretary of Commerce. Okay, you're either one or the other. If you're a U.S. Senator and you're nominated by the president to serve as a federal judge, okay, and you get confirmed by the Senate, at that point in time, you have to give up your Senate seat. But you don't have to give it up until you go through the confirmation process. That is correct. Until you get officially offered the other job and you accept it, okay, you don't have to give up your previous government position. Okay, okay, so you could hold your seat until you find out whether you pass muster with your colleagues, although talk about embarrassing if you don't. Um, but okay, so let's just, let's just go with your scenario for a second here. So I am appointed, or rather I am invited to be the, the Secretary of the Space Force. Yes. And I go through the approval process and I get approved. And so I immediately resign my position. I assume within hours of those two things, I accept the one, resign the other. And you as governor, you call Hillary and you say, guess what? I picked you. I've been, I've been vetting my list because we watched this process and we thought it was going to go this way. And you're my pick. And if, if the election, if I did that in July and the election would normally have happened in November, do you even bother 
to hold a special election in July? That's or do you just keep the position open until November and say it's anybody's game? That's completely at the discretion of the governor. In fact, okay. in, in 10 of the 14 states, okay, that require that there be a special election, okay, um, the governor can appoint an interim U.S. senator. Now, opponents in that election, okay, aren't going to be very happy if you were appointed the, incum uh, the incumbent U.S. Senator, uh, the interim U.S. Senator, because incumbents in, historically in the United States, even if they're only in office for four or five months, okay, get to go ahead and say, I've been doing the job, and that's one of the reasons why you should vote to keep, keep me. me in the job. Okay. Okay. So it's an unfair... Yeah. A little bit of an unfair advantage, but what they could do is just keep the seat open. They could say, you know what, it's five months, we're going to have our other senator do double duty and be like super active, yep. and we're going to just hold off and do this as, as democratically as we can, which is to not give anyone an advantage Yes. in the election. Okay, yep. so they yeah. have that choice. Yeah, they have that choice. Now, what we've seen is that typically since the 17th amendment has was pat or was ratified as an amendment to the constitution um states gonna go very long without having full representation in the u.s senate well what governor is going to resist yes i mean that's you know if you can give your party an advantage by making an incumbent, even if they're an incumbent for three weeks, but you get their name out there because they were in the newspaper 50,000 times over being the incumbent, then it would be, it reflects somewhat what's going on with the Supreme Court nomination right now, which is even if President Trump loses the election, he will have put another another person on the, on court. the court right yeah, yeah. which is, uh, yeah. which is uh, who would it would be hard to resist having that kind of influence over the future in yeah. that way so you know to your initial question okay about vacancies in, in either house or, or uh, of house of congress okay in the senate okay we typically don't see long vacancies in unfilled Senate terms. We just don't, okay? Um, and, and in many ways, it reflects the fact what you just pointed out, okay? Um, either the states require, okay, uh, a temporary appointment or replacement um, until the next regularly scheduled election for that Senate seat, or the fact that if you're a governor, right? I mean, and people want to be senators, Right? Right. I mean, people want to be U.S. senators. Um, well, and I'm not trying to be ugly, but there's a certain narcissism in running for governor or president yeah. <laughs> that makes the assumption that, of course, you're going to make a good pick. Right? Like, of course, you would do you would do the right thing because you wouldn't run for that office if you didn't think that you 
were suited to making these executive decisions like you but it, it, why it, would you run for governor under the under the theory of oh you know i might be good at it it'll probably be all right that's not how they come into it they come into it with i'm brilliant and i'm fabulous and i'm going to fix everything well and, and not only that remember governors are typically viewed as the heads of their political party in a state right if you want to go ahead and do a lot, I mean, you, you want to go ahead and cement um, your party's, if you will, um, uh, majority control or dominance in a state, being able to go ahead and appoint, okay, even just for a few months, okay, a U.S. Senator goes a long way, okay, towards fulfilling that. Yeah. I mean, think about this. Politics is all influence. Okay, think about this. If you're the governor of a state, and the Senate position that just became vacant was filled previously by a person from the other party. Look at what you can do for your party. Right. Okay. You're benefiting your party. Okay. Um, in the national legislature. And you're giving that person a chance to show oh. that they can do the job and then that gives them a leg up and you're right incumbent but look, I'm already here and I'm doing the job and see how good I am. I've already done these things. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that's never, there's just never going to be a chance that it's going to be left open unless you had, unless there was some political advantage to not filling the seat. Yes. Then you might see that, but otherwise there would be no political advantage to doing that. Yes. Okay. Okay. Now, that's the Senate. The House, there's actually a constitutional requirement that House members only be replaced by an election held in the congressional district of the former representative. Okay. Is it a special election held right away or is it just the next election? Ah, a very good question. Okay. <laughs> According to the Constitution and state law, the governor of the state calls for a special election, okay, to fill the vacant House seat, okay? Now, question as to how quickly it's supposed to occur, right? Okay, so typically, you would have a primary in the spring or early summer so that, so that the political parties can pick their candidate. Okay. And then you have the general election in the fall. Okay. Well, let's just say, for instance, Nia, you are um, uh, a representative in the House representing uh, a district that covers, okay, where you live in uh, Richmond. Okay. okay. All right. And let's say, once again, um, you know, I'm not going to have anything. Uh, a negative befall you. Let's say you, you get appointed to be the ambassador to pick a good one. Ireland. Yes. Okay. So, okay. It's beautiful. Ireland is beautiful. Let's say that happens. Okay. In December. Now there could be a special election okay, as early as January, right? On the other hand, if you're going to follow the general election cycle, 
okay, you're not going to have the primary election until the spring, and then you wouldn't have the general election, okay, until the fall. So it could be almost a year. It could be almost a year, okay? Well, and in, in fairness to some governors, special elections are expensive. Yes. Like that's not a cheap thing to do because you have to marshal all of the polling stuff that you do. And even though you're only doing it in one district, in this particular instance, some districts are quite large. I mean, I'm thinking Montana, right? Some districts are quite large physically and you'd have to, and then you also have to get the word out that it's happening or you have no turnout because it, I, I will be honest with you that the vast majority of places that I've lived, I had no idea who my local representative was. <laughs> I knew who my senators were, but I had no real idea who my local representative was until election time. And even then, only because I was paying attention to the elections, like all of it. And I'm like, oh, they're on the same sign as the presidential person. Now I know which side, which party that person is from. Like, you know, it's just terrible. Now I do a whole lot more, by the way, listeners, I do a lot more investigation of my ballot. I'm, I'm one of those people now who sits down and makes a list before I go into the polling place. But I didn't used to be that person. And so if you wouldn't have been able to tell me, I wouldn't have been able to tell you rather who my, who my person was. So if you held a special election and I didn't know about it, I wouldn't show up. I wouldn't vote. And by the way, listeners, what Nia just shared about her behavior of the past. About her tragic past. Okay. Is entirely consistent with the vast, the overwhelming majority of Americans. Okay. Uh, when Americans are polled to go ahead and name, okay, who their elected officials are, most Americans can go ahead and name the president, usually the vice president. They can what do usually, you mean usually? Not all Americans can. Uh, okay. You're doing this to hurt me, aren't you? Well, no, 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 no. It's actually to go ahead and make you feel better, okay, in the sense that your behavior in the past was not all that unusual, okay? Americans know, most Americans know who the president is. Um, uh, they cannot name a single Supreme Court justice. Okay, that's terrifying. Okay, uh, a majority. Because there are some really entertaining justices. If nothing else, you should just know them because they're fun. Oh, sure. Okay. I mean, and when I go ahead and show photos of the current Supreme Court justices to my students, you know, they're like, you know, they have visceral reactions to the justices, particularly when I start explaining, you know, some of the more interesting tidbits, right? Okay. Um, but they typically know their senators. They that interesting. They typically do not know their statewide elected officials. Many Americans cannot name who their governor is, <gasps> their lieutenant governor is. Um, they certainly can't uh, identify who their uh, house member is or state senator is. Okay. Oh, and I have to admit, I struggle with that. I, I'm not going to pretend that I don't. Once you get past lieutenant governor in the state uh, officials, yeah, I struggle. 
I yeah. have to admit I struggle. Yeah. And that's why I research my ballot now is to make sure that yes. I know what I know who I'm voting for and why I'm voting for that person. But unless somebody has done something like okay, so listeners who live in Virginia will now know where I live, please don't target me for hate mail. Um I live in Eric Cantor's previous district. Yeah. Yeah. And the only reason that I knew who Eric Cantor was was that he was he was so big in the house like he was do you know what I mean like and then you had the whole Dave Brad thing that came after Cantor and you couldn't live here and not know any of that and then you couldn't live here and not know Abigail Spanberger for the same reason yes but but previous to that if you had said to me Nia who's your who's your representative to Congress I'd have been probably a guy like <laughs> you know what I mean like I would have probably been in the neighborhood of male <laughs> and then yeah beyond that no clue yeah and and, and and give it up for the general assembly i love the general assembly they're doing god's work down there but i have no idea who my representative to the general assembly is so isn't that terrible and well, i'm and i'm politically like relatively interested yeah you're informed okay and, and that's one of the criticisms of elections in the united states there are so many positions and they're held so frequently that you get voter fatigue that even those who are interested in politics after a while say i can't read anymore i can't listen anymore i can't think anymore about this i think we have virginia we have elections every year in virginia we do and and i suspect that the vast majority of virginians turn out for the presidential election Oh my, oh yeah. Because like, yeah. don't we see that the numbers are almost always a huge spike in a presidential year and then they, they just sort of drop off. Yeah. The author, and sometimes they're a big spike in a governor year if there's a, if there's a gubernatorial race. Yeah. The off year elections. seem to care about that. But. Yeah. The off year elections, uh, the elections in years where there's not a presidential election, turnout is significantly lower. Okay. Um, as Neil pointed out, uh, Virginia, like the state of New Jersey, holds their governor election the year after the presidential election. So we'll have a governor's election uh, here in the Commonwealth of Virginia next year. Oh, okay. and as an interesting side note, the governor of Virginia can only serve one, like they can't serve two continuous terms. That's right. They can serve more than once, but they can't do it in a row. That's right. So you will never see eight years of a governor in Virginia, which I think is kind of unusual. Uh, we're, the, a, we're the only state with that prohibition. Oh, well, it's not kind of unusual. It's, it's Very, unusual. It's just straight up unusual. It, yeah, because I mentioned it to a friend who they were getting ready to work on a reelection campaign for a governor. And I said, yeah, you can't do that in Virginia. And they're like, what? I'm like, nope. You got to sit out a term. You can come back, but you have to sit out a term. When I moved to Virginia and my mom asked me uh, what was different about politics in Virginia. <laughs> and, and mind you, my home state is Pennsylvania. How, how long do you have to answer, mom? Well, actually, it was a, a, a multi-phone call discussion. Okay? I was going to say, you wrote a small novel for her about yeah. that? And one of the things that I shared with her almost immediately was the fact that governors cannot succeed themselves, right? As Nia just explained, they have to take at least one term off before they can, you know, run and be successfully elected, they hope. 
And my mom was just like, that does not make any sense. And I'm like, well, if your intent is to make sure that the governor, okay, um, doesn't become too strong, okay, um, I said, then it makes all kinds of sense. Right. And Virginia, uh, it's also a, a, a pre, it's a prevention of entrenchment. Yes. Right. Like it's a prevention of you're not just going to be governor eternally and serve forever as governor. And I know that some states have term limits, but I don't think they all have term limits. Nope. Not all states have term limits. So some people could be elected as a state governor and just stay there forever the way Three, we four, have five terms. Yep. Yeah. And Virginia was like, uh, no, thank you. Nope. Virginia's never allowed that. Okay. Well, they did allow it, but then they got rid of it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so it was originally? Well, the, yeah. Uh, there was a period in the 19th century where governors could succeed themselves, but uh-uh. Nope. Yeah, and I have to admit I kind of like it because it, it, so the thing about a second term is if you think that you're building towards a second term, you are you are more cautious about doing certain things, which is a good thing, but you're also more cautious about doing certain things, which is a bad thing, because there are some times when you need to damn the torpedoes and you don't because you're worried about reelection. Whereas if you take that off the, like at the beginning, this is not part of the deal, then it changes what governors do, especially in Virginia, it changes how they immediately when they take office, start doing things that they think yeah. is the direction that the Commonwealth needs to go, right? Like it, they, they're it, like, yeah, I'm not building towards another election because I can't, I can't yeah, they, have another election. Well, they basically know they have three years. Right. Because their last year in office, they basically know that even if the state legislature is controlled by their political party, members of the state legislature are already thinking about working with the new governor. Right. <laughs> So they and how they have to reach across, right. Yeah, they basically got three years, okay? Which is why you see lurches of radical change in Virginia sometimes uh, where you see, well, radical now, maybe a little Well, I, well but, I would argue governors not being able to succeed themselves is one of the reasons why we see incremental change in Virginia, Okay because again, they know they don't have a second term that they can leverage to get more long lasting policy change done, okay? So whatever they're gonna get done, they're gonna have to get done in three years, okay? And the state legislature knows this. So if the state legislature is controlled by the opposition political party- That's true, they can they, slow walk everything. Yeah, they can slow walk everything, okay? Um, and, and again, I've told students, I've told students this before, Okay, the most important figure, okay, or figures in a legislative body are those who know Robert's rules of order. Because those who know parliamentary procedure can go ahead and slow down the momentum of even the most popular governor. And they can speed up things that, yes. Yes. I mean, whatever else you may say about Mitch McConnell, yes. the man knows the rules. He is... Yes. He knows them inside and out. He knows exactly how far he can walk up to a line and put his toe right up against it. He's, he's, 
Yes. His knowledge of that is phenomenal, which is how he has managed to drive a lot of policy in, in the Senate by knowing the rules. There is a, a really, and there's the a rules, really- And by the way, kids who are listening, the rules aren't always fair. No. And no, no they're so, not. So, you know, when people say that's not fair, I'm like, well, but that's the rule. That's- yes. And if you want to go ahead and change the rule, uh, criticizing it outside the the body usually is not effective. So right. you've got to get involved in the body to change the rule. Uh, but to your point, there's a really funny story of when Ronald Reagan was president, um, uh, House Republicans complained that Ronald Reagan hardly ever met with them uh, to get his various legislative proposals passed. Um, and Reagan was, uh, was infamously quoted as saying, well, I already know you guys are on board. I, I have to convince the Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill, who is a Democrat, okay, who knows, who served in the House for a long period of time. He knows where all the bodies are buried. I got to convince him to go along with me, not you, okay? So, you know, that's the value of actually knowing the rules, okay? particularly when you are in the majority in a legislative body, okay? Because you basically know the executive branch has to come to you and negotiate. They have to, right? That's why, for instance, we're, we're not going to see another pandemic stimulus package come out of the Congress until the Trump administration and Mitch McConnell in the Senate are willing to play ball with Nancy Pelosi in the House. Say what you will about Nancy Pelosi, but she's been there for a long time. And she, she knows the rules. rules. She knows the rules. Okay. <laughs> she, she knows the rules. Okay. Um, and they know this. Well, and they're working on a resolution to keep the government going after December? Yes. I think there are, wait, is it till December? Did we just yeah, pass one? Yeah, they just passed one this week. Uh, uh, again, a continuing our, resolution, right? Yeah, our faithful uh, podcast listeners well know we did uh, a multi-episode uh, um, series on the budget process. Right. Okay? And once again, the United States Congress did not pass <laughs> a, complete, pass a, budget. a complete federal government budget, but this week they passed a continuing resolution. Now, this was a resolution that only works basically through Christmas. <laughs> it's actually like early December, isn't it? It's not quite Christmas. So Yes. Right? You no. Know, so over Christmas the government could shut down. Because during a pandemic, that's what you want. But but it got Congress and the White House through the election. Right. Okay, great. Which which at this point incremental is the best we can hope for. Yes, right. Because there's so much uh going on. Yes. Um but back to the house. Right. Okay? So so basically what you have here is um, you could have a congressional district that goes nearly a full house, if you will, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, session? House session um, without having representation, depending on when their representative died, resigned, got expelled, took a new job simply because, okay, 
of the timeline, right? Because house, okay, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 the uh, house seats serve for two years. Right. Okay. And isn't it, again, a third come no. up? No, the full house is up for re-election every two years. Oh, I misunderstood that. Okay, yes. wow. Only the, the, only the Senate has a third of its membership up, okay, for election. Okay, let's just for just a moment have a small fantasy moment. Oh, good Lord, no. Of... <laughs> I know where you're going. Let's of the entire of overturn <laughs> of let's the Congress. A, let's say a whole bunch of House members uh, get uh, uh, get ill with COVID-19, and then they die af right after an election. No, no, no. I was oh. thinking, sorry. Oh. Oh, I went to the place of, can you imagine if it brings my dream of the presidency closer where I could just say, y'all go home and nobody comes back. <laughs> Send me all new people. Listeners, what Nia's referencing. Can you imagine I... no senior anybody in the house? Listeners, what Nia's referencing is the fact that the president in article two of the constitution has the authority to not only convene Congress, but also to adjourn Congress, okay? Which again, we discussed in a previous podcast episode because Donald Trump earlier this year, President Trump actually said, I might just adjourn Congress if they don't do what I want them to do. <laughs> yeah, I, not, I mean, I like how he threatens things that just are unthinkable. Wow. Okay, but that and and I'm again I'm fantasizing in a, in a sort of completely ridiculous way. But but if lightning were to 100% strike, you could have an entirely new House of Representatives. Yes. No yep. incumbents reelected, which would never happen. But wow, that would change the dynamics cuz for listeners the reason my face is doing all these weird things is the committees that you serve on the all of that stuff is a matter of how long you've been in the house of representatives it, like how senior you are yes and so if you had 100 percent new the, i don't even know what the speaker would do with that like i don't even they would have to just sort of basically draw straws like there would be no way to organize the way the house currently runs if you didn't have seniority. And that's why listeners, if you wanna know why um, media organizations uh, always report in particular on how many house members have decided not to run for reelection, they've either resigned or they're retiring, is for what Nia just described, okay, because in both the House and the Senate, but in particular the House, right? Okay, if you have huge turnover, okay, in some years we will see this, you know, 18 to 20 members of one political party says, you know, now nah, I'm tired of being in the minority, I'm tired of working in the Congress, nobody gets along, I'm not running for re-election. And often it's in a midterm. Yes. Because the midterm elections traditionally don't go well 
for the president's party. For the president's yep. party. So okay. some of those guys are like, yeah, no, I don't want to be. Okay. But then you have this huge turnover. And then that, you know, has the potential to mean there's huge turnover in who are the chairs of the committees. Okay. Um, or there might be a huge turnover in committee membership. Okay. So all of a sudden, you know, legislation that was being considered on a committee gets completely scrapped because you have five, six, eight, ten new members on a committee, and they're like, yeah, that's not our priority. We want to focus on X. Yeah, they haven't been lobbied within an inch of their existence <laughs> yeah, right. about that particular issue, and they're like, no, no, I care about golf courses or whatever, and then the next thing you know, it, yes. it, the priorities get shifted rather dramatically. But in your scenario, which I also find fascinating, so we have an election year this year and in November all I, I don't know let's just say that everybody's reelected and it stays the way it is but then in December a whole bunch of people get sick and they have to retire because they're simply not physically able to continue being congresspersons because they've had some sort of combination of the plague and COVID and the flu or whatever. Well, I mean, think about COVID-19 and the flu, right? Public health experts have already said, you know, that twindemic has the potential to really hit the American population hard. And think about, again, the age group of the lion share of most members of Congress. A little okay? bit older. Yeah, they're, mid they're middle age to older. Right. Even and they are also people who have lots of public exposure. They have a lot of public exposure. Because of what stress, they do. High stress, which means their bodies typically can't fight off, okay, um, you know, these kinds of infections, if you will. And many of them have underlying conditions. That's right, okay. Um, I mean, I don't want to go there, but let's say we, it, it does happen, right? So, uh, so let's say you lose 100 of the 435 and you don't elect until next November, because that's the earliest when you can have a special election. Or are you a governor who's willing to forego that normal time frame simply because you want to make sure your state's congressional districts have representation? That's the difficulty. Ah. That's the difficulty, right? Um, because as you just pointed out a few moments ago, when we do special elections. Nobody shows up. Nobody shows up. <laughs> I mean, like, basically, if you want your vote to supercharge and Charge. super count, yeah. do it during a special election, because it's like you and six other people in your district. I mean, it's... I mean... You so, have enormous power during those if you just show up. And, 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 and the parties, political parties hate that, okay? But nevertheless... Okay, do you want a congressional district or a number of congressional districts to not have representation, okay, you know, for, you know, nearly a full year? Right. And in Virginia, let's just say that you lost three. That's a lot of federal dollars that you are not getting earmarked because those positions are sitting empty. Yeah. And you have to make a cost-benefit analysis here of we need a warm body. We need somebody in that space asking for stuff for Virginia, even if it's not somebody who thrills us, 
to the core of our being because we just we need to have that the less representation your state has in congress the worse it is for you that's why the states with sparse populations complain about that and that's why we even have a senate versus a house is to guarantee that there's at least two people for every state in their pitching for the i mean uh betting for the fence right because yes. yep yep they need something and yeah wow yeah. That yeah. could be really, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Oh, I mean. It, 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 in those ways of things that you say, that's interesting when it happens to another country and it's terrible when it happens to yours. Yeah, but I mean, in, in so much what we're talking about in this episode and in the um, uh, podcast episode that's going to get released uh, next week uh, in regards to certifying presidential elections, okay, um, is, you know, worst case scenarios. Okay, um, worst case scenarios. Um, so, you know, we talk about these and then we wonder whether or not the Constitution or law actually is prepared for this, right? You know, there's the old Eisenhower quote, you know, plan, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, you know, plans oftentimes don't work, but you need to do planning. Right. Right. You know, you know, if you, if you, if think you've it, at least worked through the scenarios, then you're not completely blindsided by what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. Right? You need to have worked through all the scenarios in your brain. I mean, it, even it, if what you think that you would do can't be done, you've at least thought through all the possibilities. Um, Nia and I had a conversation when the pandemic first hit in this country, okay, uh, typically out in the West Coast, okay, and almost immediately, you know, you know, Nia asked me, you know, you know, are you planning for this? And I'm like, yes, I'm planning for this, but I'm not making any concrete plans, okay? I needed, you know, I needed to be ready, Nia needed to be ready about how our jobs and how we were going to go ahead and teach and support students was going to change. But we also knew that there were so many unknown variables, okay, that getting locked into a particular plan, okay, would have made no sense. And listeners, what Augie is referring to is the unknown unknowns, the known unknowns. Oh. Like, I know that, I, that he sounded insane when he was talking about that. Um, sorry, Secretary... Um, I can't remember his name. His name has gone right out of my head. The secretary who said that, the known unknowns and the no. unknown Oh, yeah, unknowns. yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm blanking um, who it is. Yeah, but nevertheless. But, but he, when he was saying that, what he was trying to say was, you need to try to have thought through as many variables as you can. Um, Understanding that you don't know all the variables, okay, at this particular time. Um, and, and probably one of the benefits of one, Nia getting her, one of her master's degrees in Homeland Security. Donald and, Rumsfeld. Yeah, Donald Rumsfeld, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and me actually teaching in that and also getting my PhD in public policy and administration is that um, there are things that we know as government officials that are like worst case scenarios. And we hope that they never happen. But because 
of your position. And because the public frequently turns to the government, okay, um, to guide them, to lead them, to help them in a times of, time of crisis, you ought to have given some thought, okay, <laughs> even if it is, as Rumsfeld points at, pointed out, there are some things you will never know. Right. Okay. You can put, you know, 50 of the, the brightest, smartest people in a room and there still is going to be, okay, an event that happens that they could not have hypothesized. Right. The 9-11 Commission report said that 9-11, we had a failure of imagination. Yes. Okay. We, we did not imagine a scenario where planes would be used as bombs. Yeah. I mean, because again it hadn't happened before now yeah it, it had hyper before. aware of that possibility and, and, think, and think folks if you happen to have been a government intelligent officer who went ahead and said in a meeting while you were brainstorming ideas hey guys we ought to prepare okay for terrorists to use planes as weapons okay think about what that what reaction they would have received pre-9-11 right Right. At that point in time, many of your colleagues are like, hey, we ought to make sure that Joe doesn't get invited to this kind of meeting ever again. OK. Yeah, because he's crazy yeah. and he's talking crazy stuff. <laughs> and then after that, after 9-11, they would have said, boy, that Joe was prescient. But <laughs> until then, he's a nutcase. Right. Until it happens, he's 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 just a lunatic and then after it happens he's nostradamus but you know when COVID 19 hit okay again you know nia said to me you know augie what are you prepared for and i'm like hey i'm getting ready for a number of scenarios but i don't know which one's going to hit and the big thing is i need to go ahead and send a very clear message to my students okay this is what i'm going to do okay it's not necessarily the best option, but this is what we got. And this is why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. That right. was the best that I could do. Okay. Right. Um, and, and, and the reason we're bringing this up during this discussion of how you replace Congress people is um, Congress people are slowly getting sick. Mm -hmm. It's not super surprising. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, for all the factors Augie mentioned, their age, their physical condition, the fact that they're in public a great deal of the time, the fact that they sit next to each other a great deal of the time and don't uh, socially distance, all of those things. So we're bringing this up because we need to think, we need to be thinking ahead in terms of what does our state do? How does our state plan for something like this? Um, if you do have to replace a member of Congress because they're incapable of serving. Now, we don't say that by way of saying we hope anybody dies because we certainly do not. No. None of us know no. what, we would both like it if deaths from COVID would stop right now, this minute, yes. and yes. there would be no more. Um, we would like it if they would have stopped about 10 months ago. Because, yes. you know, but, but that is something that we need to think about. And because special elections are so lowly attended and hard to pull off, it's something that voters need to think about and just be aware that that might happen, that you need to keep an eye out on, yes. on how your, your representatives are doing 
and make sure that if anybody has to retire or or leave the position for illness that there's that you know what's going to happen and that yeah. you know how the state will work through it i mean a, 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 a good axiom here to remember folks is democracy takes work okay um and yeah we could probably make it easier we have discussed in this podcast how we could make it easier. Okay. But really, where's the fun in that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love for certain things to be easier, but there's also 330 million of us. Like, that's the other thing is, is it, people will say, well, in X country, they do this thing. And I'm like, okay, but in X country, they have 5 million people. Yeah. Like, their whole country's population is smaller than the population of New York City. So I can't, I can't go there with you. I mean, we're just huge. Now, if you're talking about Russia or China or India, I'm on board. I'm listening because they're like us with enormous populations. But, you know, I, I listened to a student compare us once to New Zealand and I was like, you know, and then I just didn't even go there because I I can't. I have students, you know, with some regularity say, you know, voter turnout in Europe's much higher. And I said, okay, fine. You understand that most European countries, okay, are a small percentage of the size of the United States. And oh, yeah, by the way, in terms of diversity, okay, I mean, they have a, you know, a homogeneous population. Right, right. Uh, I, I think if you compared, like, the number of people who vote in Texas and the number of people who vote in France, you're probably fairly similar because those are about the same size. Like, come on people. I said, you know, there are significant differences here, right? In terms of, you know, culture, right. you know, size. Okay. It's yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, you, and again, I would like to see turnout be significantly higher in the United States. Oh, yeah. Now, on the other hand, I'm just kind of sort of like, okay, guys, if, if we're going to have a conversation about how to improve turnout in the United States, first, comparing the United States to other countries, I'm not necessarily gets us to that end goal. Right. <laughs> right. I'm going to need you to find a democracy that's as big as we are. Yeah. <laughs> And has the same, you know, system, and then we'll start talking about how to, yeah, yeah, right. it, it, it's it's apples and oranges, but yeah, um, but it sounds like, for the most part, we have a, we know how this works. Yes, so we're in good shape with that. We just need to keep on top of the potentials if there does yeah. need to be a special election, and we would like to encourage listeners to vote in a special election whenever there is one. Um, in your district because it is enormously empowering for you to do so. And remember, guys, okay, elections are about politics, okay? Okay, so there are going to be politics involved. Right. So with that, all right. All right. Thanks, Augie. Thank you, Nia. I'll talk to you next week. Looking forward to it. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. 
Special thanks to the workshop for technical assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.